nobody talks about Pharaoh's pants very often, but they're there. It was her most cherished jewel. I just get sort of um, rather excited by the fact that I'm on the very spot. It's the only one of Fabergé's eggs that looks like an egg. I love this fact they sort of stop for lunch halfway through the rebellion. He actually reaches down into the guy's throat and gets the diamond back. Welcome to History Gems, where today we're going to be talking about a Scottish queen and her love of jewels, Mary Queen of Scots. Here to tell us more about her is the fabulous Professor Kate Williams, whose most recent book, Rival Queens, The Portrayal of Mary Queen of Scots, is all about Mary. She is deposed, imprisoned in Lochleven Castle, and her half-brother James Stuart, he becomes the regent for the little boy, and they sell off loads of her jewels. There is a battle between Elizabeth I and Catherine de' Medici over who gets Mary's favorite, famous favorite pearls. Apparently they're gigantic pearls. These pearls are huge. Apparently there were, some, there were black pearls within them. So Catherine de' Medici wants them and Elizabeth I wants them. Who's going to win? Rival Queens was a Times History Book of the Year and was described by the Daily Telegraph as being an elegant synthesis of royal biography and political thriller. Kate will probably be well known to many of you as she's an extremely popular historian and broadcaster and professor of modern history at Reading University. Kate has presented and contributed to many historical television programmes and is also a regular contributor on royal and current affairs. She's a New York Times best-selling author and her other books include Becoming Queen about the youth of Queen Victoria and her cousin Princess Charlotte, England's Mistress, and Josephine. It's a real privilege to have Kate with me today. She's absolutely brilliant, and I know it's going to be a great episode. Could you just start by introducing us to Mary and telling us a little bit about her? Well, Mary, Queen of Scots, I was fascinated by her. I'm fascinated by what happens to female power. Is female power possible in a man's world? And she is the ultimate story, I feel, of female power in a man's world and what happens to it. For she becomes queen. She's the daughter of James V of Scotland. She's six days old when she becomes the queen. And the rest of her life really is one by which as a child and then as an adult, uh, men war over her to try and use, the, use her as their puppet. And what's really striking is, is when you compare her to Elizabeth is the question of queenship. You know, people say, oh, Elizabeth was a fantastic queen. And of course, she was a fantastic queen. But Everything that Elizabeth did, Mary Queen of Scots did too, but yet uh, listening to your ministers, introducing religious toleration, but what Mary was kidnapped when Mary, when men tried to undermine Elizabeth, they ignored her and they excluded her. When they tried to undermine Mary, she was kidnapped, she was seized. And also arguably, you know, this is the question, Mary Queen of Scots is, is one, it really opens that question of what do you do as a queen? Because you have to get married because you want to have an heir. But if you get married and you have an heir, then your husband will try to seize power from you, which is consistently what happened. I mean, 
I'll say it. She chose bad ones. She chose bad yeah. ones. Yeah. <laughs> she didn't choose the best options on the 16th century dating app, but still, who would have been a good option? So she's born in 1542, queen at six days old. Then she's sent off to be uh, wife of the future king of France. She's there. She becomes queen of France with him when his, his father dies. But quickly, he dies as well. She's a widow. She comes back at the age of 18, really to occupy the throne of Scotland, and then becomes constantly subject to men fighting over back and forth, also uh, threats from England and consistently uh, falls into problems. Her her half-brother in particular, James Stewart, wants to get power from her. And really, to cut a long story short, she ends up fleeing into England when she's 25, you know, after only a few years on the throne. And that from then on, she spends the rest of her life, really, first of all, under... A quite genteel house arrest and then increasingly uh, imprisoned and then she ends up caught up in the plot against Elizabeth and is put on trial and executed. So really Mary Queen of Scots is a story of what happens when the horror, when what men fear the most comes to pass and that is female power and they undermine her they try to seize it from her because she wants to rule for herself and she tried to and she lost everything she gambled on the on ruling for herself and lost everything and I'm really interested to know do you think do you think that Mary was a victim or do you think that she um she was she caused her own problems i think mary made uh, two fatal mistakes and really the the chief of her fatal mistakes was when she was fleeing and fleeing it, it, she'd been deposed from the throne of scotland for her son uh the future james the 6th and james the 1st of england and scotland and she was fleeing because she'd been deposed and she'd managed to get to a safe house and she had that choice had she could have made some different decisions so she could have gone to France and lived in peaceful exile there the king of France said and and he also said while she was in prison that he'd take her he'd look after her he'd keep an eye on her and it had to be refused by Elizabeth I she could have tried to take back her throne in Scotland. She could have gone in exile to France, but instead she went into England in the hope of really throwing herself on Elizabeth's mercy that Elizabeth would put her back on the throne. And instead she was under house arrest for the rest of her life. And really, you know, had I been, had I a a time machine, a 16th century time machine, I'd go back and I would just say to Mary, no, 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 that's, don't go, don't go over the, don't go over the river, don't go to Carlisle, go to France, I'm sorry, or stay in Scotland. And she could have got her throne back, I think only briefly, but certainly by this point, she had been deposed by her half-brother and certainly by this point, he was growing increasingly unpopular. And I think that because she was the true blood queen. She had a lot of popular support behind her. I mean, you could see she had a lot of popular support because when she was deposed, they were terrified of imprisoning her in Edinburgh because they thought that the people of the city would rise up for her. So they bunged her in the most isolated, random, you know, isolated places they could think of. Mm-hmm. And well, so so that was her one fatal mistake. And her other fatal mistake was having a son. Her other fatal mistake was having a son. That for a king is the most wondrous thing you can have. Let's remember all the palaver that Henry VIII went through to try and get that son. All male monarchs want is a boy and their wives are failures if they can't provide it. 
And yet, when Mary, Queen of Scots, does this, when she has a son, this is instantly really signing her ruin. Because the minute that as a female monarch, you have an heir, particularly a male heir, you can be deposed for that male heir. Because even though it is a baby, even though you know it can't talk, it hasn't got any teeth, the little boy can't, can't do a thing, no. still as a boy, it is superior for you. So really, there are maneuvers to try and seize her power. But but as soon as she becomes pregnant, as soon as she has that baby boy, they really step up these maneuvers because essentially now she now there is a boy that king can that boy can be king and and those in power can be his regent. So James Stewart, who's always out for Mary's power from the beginning because he hoped that she would be a puppet that he, he would rule through um as soon as she has the boy james stewart tries to starts to maneuver for power and does very swiftly get her deposed really Ma- mary makes two fatal mistakes number one she goes to england and she throws herself on elizabeth the first mercy and it's tragic because she gets there you know to carlisle and she thinks that she's going to be ushered off for a marvelous meeting with it with elizabeth but that's yeah. not what happened she's Im- immediately put under house arrest in carlisle castle that's her first mistake her second mistake is is having that baby, baby boy i mean she probably would have been deposed for baby girl but there would have been i think a, an attempt to see if she could fall pregnant again and have a boy because that boy is what everyone wants it is an undoubtedly very sad story, I think. And I do, I know people have very mixed opinions about Mary, but I certainly feel like I have a degree of sympathy for her in, in lots of respects. Now, you mentioned the fact that she became queen when she was just six days old. And as a result of this, she was obviously someone who'd been surrounded by finery and luxury trappings all of her life. Does she grow to love all of this? Well, Mary is also, she's a baby queen, but on top of that, she lives in France from the age of, you know, she's just a tiny girl when she lives in France. And that fascinates me because really you can see why Mary of Guise did that. The subtitle of my book is The Betrayal of Mary, Queen of Scots, the many ways in which she was betrayed. And you can see why Mary, Queen of Scots, sent her over to France to be married to the Dauphin because it gets her French support against England. Henry VIII is constantly harrying Scotland, and he wants Mary, Queen of Scots, to be married to his son, the future Edward VI, and therefore unite both kingdoms under English power. And that's not what Mary of Guise wants. She wants French support. And also she's fearful that Mary, Queen of Scots, could be kidnapped by English forces. So she sends her to France. And you can see why she does that. It keeps Mary, Queen of Scots, safe. It gets French ships But at the same time, it also really, it means that Mary is sent away. And that's what you do with a daughter. That's what you do with a princess, isn't it? You send them away as a marriage pawn. You don't do that with a queen. And really, when you contrast that with Elizabeth I, who has, let's face it, one of the worst childhoods and adolescence (laughs) you could possibly imagine, you know, (laughs) she, um, she loses her mother. Then she uses a couple of beloved stepmothers. Then she moves in with Catherine Parr and her stepfather sexually harasses her it it really gets worse and worse but all through this she is in 
England. And not only does she symbolize this Englishness, but also she gets to create a, a network of loyal men around her, uh, such as Cecil, who, you know, we are so desperately devoted to Elizabeth. And Mary just doesn't get that. She comes back to rule at 18 without this sort of network of men who've always felt that she would be the one. So Mary, it's a very difficult life that she has. It's a very peripatetic life. But yeah. certainly when she goes to the French court, that is a court of extreme luxury. I mean, the children have their own menagerie. And when she marries Francis, she you know she has incredible jewelry at the wedding i mean the wedding really is a huge amount of of uh, power performed and as we know the way that women so often are, are, are performing their power is through jewels isn't it you know yes. jewels before clothes perform women's power because they're not allowed to speak but clothes perform their power but jewels absolutely perform their power so they have these she has these incredible um there's apparently a, a, a necklace with incalculable value which i found quite striking because they're always, you, know, you can always calculate a value but you know she has all this one these wonderful jewels um that catherine de medici her mother-in-law gives her so she gets you know she gets and a huge amount of jewels when she she get when she when she marries into the French family, and then of course she becomes the queen. She gets the French crown jewels, so she gets all of these. But yet they're they're not hers. And when Francis dies, the majority of them have to go back. So really, when she comes back to Scotland at the age of eighteen, she sort of has to reinvent her power and to a degree sort of re-shop I know that isn't really yeah. a word is it re-shop no. <laughs> it can be <laughs> <laughs> she has to I'm just inventing verbs today. <laughs> she, re, she has to re-shop for this significant the, the way in which you perform your significant power so she brings a lot of stuff over with her there's boats full of tapestries and and furniture and obviously material that is deemed to be hers but when she arrives in in Scotland really which has been a bit of a rough and ready court and her mother has been regent and a lot of men have had a lot of power and many of the aristocrats have basically been doing what they want it has been rather rough and ready and she she arrives in Scotland with her four ladies in waiting which are all called Mary 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 and Mary and <laughs> you know has to create this court of a queen and a court of a queen needs it needs trappings it needs stuff it needs jewels so really she has to she actually starts buying her own jewels she buys her own jewels from jewelers in in Edinburgh in particular she buys Scottish jewels and I think that a lot of people obviously probably set up this is my own theory a yeah. lot of people actually set up as jewelers in Edinburgh because they realized that the court was you know we have it today uh -huh. don't we you know governments whole companies set up to get government contracts and yeah. we know that in Versailles um all the factories that supplied Versailles which you know uh, were huge they all fell into disrepair and then Napoleon came back on back onto the throne because he you know his power was greater than that of the king and Napoleon started up all these factories once more so I think really Mary's advent an actual queen a young woman a woman who needed these jewels created a, a real sort of court economy and there was a lot of jewels being bought and 
I, I really have to say she bought some fantastic stuff. I mean, what, where we're lucky with Mary Queen of Scots's jewels is there are some absolutely incredible um, inventories. Um, these inventories that they've got, you know, they, 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 they got them in the, in the record office in Scotland, uh, some in the British Library, some in the National Archives. And these are really amazing to read these inventories of her goods. And there are wonderful books and wonderful items. But for those, you know, for us, jewel lovers there are some really fantastic jewels and you read about some of the stuff that she's got you know um you know a cupid with a ruby heart a mermaid with a diamond mirror and a ruby tail i mean how beautiful must that mermaid have been holding a diamond mirror and a ruby tail so she didn't just have jewels that would you know be warm but also was it might see sort of as I, I presume that was either some form of, you know, decor- it was either a decor- decoration, some kind of trinkets as well. So she had a lot of fantastic stuff. And I think that she definitely became known as someone who would buy internationally as well, international jewels. Um, the majority the majority of these stones that they were using from pearls to amethyst to rubies, they, we don't get them here. So no. in the very same way that obviously you know, Mary the first gets the best pearl there possibly is. Uh, a lot of the great, most wonderful jewels um, really being dealt through um, a- across the world are going to Mary Queen of Scots. That's so interesting. And what I'm intrigued to know is, uh, you've talked about these inventories, which sound absolutely incredible, and I've I've never seen them myself. But I'm interested to know, can we glean anything from these? Do you think about her preferences or Mary's tastes in particular? Well, that's very interesting, obviously, because some of them are gifts to her. Some of them are gifts she gave. Um, so it's, I think it's often quite hard to tell what queens really like, isn't it? Because yeah. they, get given, they get given so much stuff. But I, what I think is that she particularly um, liked what we might see as innovative jewels. I think we she was known as being very fashionable. I think that she was very interested in the latest jewel designs. So I don't Ooh. think that they were very sort of old school. I, I, I'm kind of, I, I'm fascinated by the mermaid and the, you know, that, that she, apparently she kept very close to her and she gave that she apparently might've given this to the Earl of Bothwell. Um, oh. And she also gave a lot of her, jewels out as gifts and that really interests me because what do you choose to give especially what do you choose to give to Elizabeth I that's what really fascinates me what do you choose to give to another woman and when James the the future sixth James future sixth first when he was christened her little boy in 1566 she gave a lot of her jewels and various jewels out as as gifts and the Earl of Bedford who was the representative representative for Queen Elizabeth he was the guest of honor and she gave him a gold chain set with pearls, diamonds and rubies. And that, I think, probably does reflect that of her taste. You know, she liked pearls. She liked yeah. diamonds and she liked, I, I think, chains of them. And certainly when she was pregnant, one of the inventories that she's got is when she was pregnant in 1566. She made her own inventory, obviously, in case you know childbirth being such a risky thing, but the risk, riskiest thing you can really do as a woman, isn't it, in the 16th century? So, yeah. Still, still yeah. today to a degree. Yes. Um, and she leaves some to Scotland and she leaves some to courtiers and gives some to various ladies-in-waiting um, and some get amethysts and she's got a belt with a pendant chain, bracelets, um, miniature portraits. And what, what, I re- what I really like, this one I really like that she was giving away at childbirth. And it seems such a fascinating thing, doesn't it? That, you know, you're, 
about to have a baby and you're thinking how am I going to distribute my my belongings in case I die (laughs) you know joy and horror all together and her nephew um her nephew she uh gave him gold buttons and also she gave him a a slice of unicorn horn on a silver chain for testing for poison so what fascinating things that I'm sure it was a walrus or a a narwhal or something like that (laughs) don't think they really had a slice of unicorn horn but but all these incredible things um that they have and I I think what I think that she she liked decorative materials she liked sometimes novelty materials like these mermaids and she did like pearls um she was a real fan of pearls and the pearls actually one of my favorite stories because of course Mary makes this inventory for of her jewels when she's about to give birth yeah but she survives it's marvelous she she, you know the baby's in good health she's in good health it it really is uh you know a triumph but what happens you know not very long after is that she is deposed imprisoned in Lochleven castle and her half-brother james stewart he becomes the regent for the little boy and they sell off loads of her jewels they use them sort of use them to raise loans some of them sell them off to edinburgh edinburgh shops kind of pawn they go off to sell them and they really they go off to sell them off and (sighs) one of this is my favorite one of my favorite stories is that there is a battle between elizabeth the first and catherine de medici over who gets mary's favorite famous favorite pearls apparently they're gigantic pearls they're Apparently as big as nutmeg, so the poor old oyster that had to have a pearl as big as a nutmeg, <laughs> poor thing. And um, these pearls are huge. Apparently there were some, there were black pearls within them, so absolutely incredible. So there's a Wonderful. battle between both Catherine Catherine Medici wants them and Elizabeth the First wants them. And I wonder who the listeners might think would get them. Who's going to win between Elizabeth the First and Catherine de Medici? It's always uh, got I to be Elizabeth, should... hasn't it? Yeah. Well, yeah, I think it, absolutely. We should do a Twitter poll, shouldn't we? We should <laughs> do a Twitter poll. It is definitely Elizabeth. Elizabeth wins, of course, because no matter what price she offers, it's more important that James Stewart, the regent, Mary's half brother, stays on her good side. So even if she offered, you know. A few pennies compared to Catherine de Medici offering huge amounts of money. (laughs) Elizabeth has to get them. And there's some talk that they're in the Armada portrait. But I mean, I don't I don't think there's any proof of that either way. Um, But but certainly Elizabeth wanted Mary Queen of Scots's pearls and she wanted quite a few of her jewels. And the pearls are the one that seemed particularly sought after if these two powerful women wanted them so much. And they must have been marvellously beautiful if they were just so sought after and they were certainly seen by James Stewart as what was going to raise him money so um, these giant nutmeg sized pearls which of course it's, it's so funny isn't it when you think about 16th century jewels you know if we saw them now be like oh that, that's fake that is not real <laughs> yeah, that is weird. not a real diamond that's not a real pearl but of course they they really were and I think that I, that's something that's quite interesting and, and quite fascinating to me as well is that I think I've I've always wondered if the their jewels were a source of jealousy between Elizabeth and and Mary more so of course on Elizabeth's side because you know jealousy is a part of her uh, her character <laughs> where Mary's concerned so um it it does certainly sound as if yeah she she had obviously had her eye on these pearls and was desperate to get her hands on them at any cost 
Uh, it's fascinating, isn't it? And it all, you know, it's really fascinating that she gets those pearls. And then, I mean, what would have happened if Elizabeth had sort of gone against Cecil and said, no, actually, Cecil, I want to put Mary back on the throne. Would she have said, Mary, I've actually got your pearls. I've got safekeeping, <laughs> safekeeping. Or yeah. <laughs> <laughs> would she have met her with them on? And it, 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 what really interests me is, you know, they really are. You know, it really shows us when James Stewart is selling off her pearls, selling them off to Elizabeth, obviously, who uh, Mary was hoping at this point was going to rescue her and it simply wasn't going to happen. But really, it really underpins what we were saying, doesn't it, about how, you know, they are a woman's power. James Stewart isn't trying, just trying to raise money. Really, he's disempowering Mary. He's stripping her of all her royalty by selling off these pearls and selling them off to Elizabeth so they get absorbed into the English crown jewels, not kept in the Scottish crown jewels. And I do mm. think, I agree with you, I think Elizabeth was very keen to have them. I think certainly uh, the fact that Mary seemed to have got these marvellous pearls, I think Elizabeth was very, very keen to have them. And I am sure she was very keen to wear them as well, really to prove that she was the enduring queen. She was the one with the power. So this, yeah. the, the, the story of these jewels and, and, and these pearls really is a little story that unpicks a huge story outside of it. And it really, I think, shows us that Mary, at this very early stage, when she still is so hopeful she's going back at the throne, onto the throne, it's doomed. Her pearls have gone. Elizabeth's got her pearls and she's going to be under house arrest. I, that's quite, I find that quite sad because, again, when you were talking about um, you know Mary's half brother selling off these jewels as well, and you know when she becomes Elizabeth's uh, Elizabeth's prisoner, all of these trappings of royalty and her jewels obviously disappear, and she no longer has access to this kind of material richness this, that has surrounded her all of her life. And I'm wondering, and maybe this is something that we can only speculate on, but I'm still really interested in your opinion. I'm, I'm wondering, do you think that, that that had an effect on Mary? Do you think that she, um, yeah, do you think that she, she felt the loss of, of losing all of the material goods that she obviously really, really loved and that had surrounded her all of her life? I think she did very much feel that. And although there was some material, initially her house arrest was really very, uh, very elite. Uh, she she did have, she sometimes put up the, Scot the Scotch cloth of state. Uh, she had a lot of attendance and there was a lot of glamour really because simply I think that it would have been seen as shocking for her to be kept not at, in a royal manner. And that really is reduced as the years go on. And increasingly, she's not allowed to have this glamour. So I think it is very painful for her. And we know that by the end of her imprisonment, you know, nearly 20 years, she was broken in mind and body. Mm. And although she does engage in what is a treasonous plot against Elizabeth, you might very much say, you know, what, where does she feel there's any choice? And she's very broken by the by this point, very insulting imprisonment that she has, that, 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 that those in charge of her are very, are very rude to her, that they're, they're nasty to her, they don't treat her in any way uh, like an elite woman, if, certainly not a queen. So yes, she does lose a lot. And I think that the loss of these jewels really is a, really is um, symptomatic of, of what, what she loses overall and that she simply can't get them back she she leaves she leaves her rooms and as they were and the jewels are there her books are there her belongings are there and James Stewart her half-brother goes through them and sells off 
them to earn money, but yes, really to disempower her as a queen. And I think it must be very painful when she hears that that she hears that she can't have her jewels and that um, that she can't have them, that they've all been sold off. And it, you know, it's very striking, I think. And she's also, while she's under. It, from the beginning of her imprisonment, she's not allowed to be in contact with her son and she's not allowed to send him any presents. At one point, she wants to send him two gold pistols, which are sort of jewels, she, yeah. two gold pistols, but she's not allowed to send those uh, the, the present for Aww. a king. And it, another, uh, uh, what, what she also loses, of course, is that when she has been deposed from the Scottish throne, when she's fought her final battle against her half-brother and lost he imprisons her first in Edinburgh, but she's very popular, so he ships her off to isolated Loch Leven, and then she's forced to abdicate, uh, really under threat of her life. And mm. either she either she abdicates or she's told, we're going to die. And she's just had a miscarriage at that point, so she's very low. Uh, and then she is... Then, then she later escapes and she rides to a stronghold and makes a decision to come into England. Ahead of her, she sends a diamond and she sends that diamond to Elizabeth I that really she believes will be a symbol of friendship and a symbol of a sort of alliance between two queens. She knows that Elizabeth I it does have a degree of sympathy with her because she knows what it's like to be a queen and she doesn't want necessarily Mary's because she knows that people will say, oh, well, Mary was a rubbish queen. All queens are rubbish. Mm, yeah. So, But she sends this diamond, but of course there's nothing Elizabeth can do. Elizabeth cannot put her back on her throne. It'll, it'll, you know, Cecil is advising against it, but Elizabeth doesn't want to end up fighting with James Stewart, who is now a Protestant government who promises Elizabeth she can he will be completely uh, completely an ally to her. So I think that's other Mary's other Mary's other obviously Mary's mistakes are going into England number one, but also number two having a son, but also number three having a brother. You know this is a problem. Yeah. You know, best off to be like Elizabeth the first, and all your siblings have died before you. That's true. I think Mary was extremely unlucky in her in her half brother there, wasn't she? I mean, he's um, yeah. As I say, like like the husbands, he, you know, he's a bad one. He's he's yes. all all he wants is to seize power from her. But I generally mm. think that perhaps you're you're best off in the 16th century if you want to be some kind of successful monarch to ensure that uh, your brothers are firmly stowed away somewhere. Yeah, that's true. That's so. That really was her mistake in some ways. Perhaps she would have done better to. Well, I don't even know if she would have had the um, uh, the opportunity to send him away, but um, she maybe would have lived a happier life if she had been able to. I, I um, think, I think, yes, I think had there been no James Stewart, I think certainly because he was really seen as the leader of the aristocracy because he has half royal blood by James V with, with a mistress, mm. um, and I don't think that any other aristocratic. Scots, any other any other person at the time in the in the Scots elite could have really coalesced everyone behind him in the same way because he simply says I am half royal and I think that he had that sort of unique power and therefore I think he he causes her particular particular problems uh, and really he's out to get her from the beginning and certainly succeeds. It's really sad for Mary. I do. I do. In some ways, um, speaking to you today has sort of changed my opinions of Mary a little bit, because I think in the past, I have perhaps taken a slightly harder line towards her. So it's been really, really interesting to hear your views. And, um, and, and yeah, I feel like I've, I've got a bit more sympathy for her now, which is which is really interesting. And that's, and that's really good, actually. Uh, you know, I, I feel very sympathetic to her. I, I, I see her faults, I see her mistakes, but at times mm. you just think, 
what choice did she really have? You know, she's mm. shipped off to France and she has no choice in that matter. She comes back and really, I think had she said to James Stewart, okay, I'll do what you say. I'll just be a puppet queen. I, I won't be, I won't rule for myself. But she made this attempt to rule for herself, which pitted her against him. And he's always going to undermine her from the beginning. And really, it's a, it's a, it's a very difficult question to think what husband could she have chosen who would not have caused problems any scottish husband would one one he would have been from the wrong family um any um any english husband would have been seen as a as, as traitorous same with any foreign husband it's a really fascinating question isn't it who you can marry as a queen and who you can who who you can possibly marry and and obviously she makes pretty bad choices but i wonder who the one who would have worked would have been well, exactly. How could she have done much better, really? And it really underpins the decision that Elizabeth made not to get married. And certainly, I think that she had her own suspicions. When she saw what happens to Mary, Queen of Scots, you marry a man and then he tries to be a joint king with you. He tries to seize power. He causes chaos. And really, I think it really proves to Elizabeth I it's how, it's the most brutal, dangerous thing that a queen can do is to get married. Because even if your husband is well behaved and doesn't try to seize your power, even if somehow she could have found a husband who would have done that for her. Yet, if you have a son, you are constantly, constantly people are saying, let's depose the queen for the son. And it's, it's amazing really for us to imagine that that could have happened to Gloriana, that if she'd had a son, just a little baby, that people would have thought mm, there would have been plots to put the son on the throne instead of her. But I think we know that there would have been. That's true. That's a really that's a really interesting way of looking at it, actually. And what I also find quite fascinating is that I mean, you talked about it at the beginning how Elizabeth I was this great queen and how we remember her in that way. But I think, I mean, the legend of Mary Queen of Scots also really seems to live on. And in my mind, I think that's something that's really highlighted by the fact that there are actually quite a few surviving pieces of jewellery out there that have got some link to Mary. Um, so I remember being in Scotland a couple of years ago, and it seemed like you could barely go to a, a stately home without seeing something that, you know, legend said, legend said that this ring was given by Mary, Queen of Scots to Lord so-and-so or something. And to me, that really seems to highlight, um, yeah, sort of her, 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 maybe her legacy or maybe just, um, her the fact that people people have some kind of I don't know some kind of affiliation or association with her you're absolutely right I think the way in which Mary did try and create loyalty was by giving away jewels obviously the lots of the aristocrats had already helped themselves to the to the Scots monastic lands they had plenty of land she did give away jewels so I'm I, I don't know if all of those jewels are definitely from Mary Queen of Scots but no. I would say quite a few were from her certainly and really she is this fascinating figure and she is this very striking figure and I think she's a very influential figure and I know that she's sometimes seen as a failure but the way I look at her is I, I say let's what what choice did she have how could she have done things better she was surrounded by men from the beginning who wanted to seize her power, who wanted to attack her, who wanted to imprison her, who tried to abduct her, who tried to abduct her and attack her, who used any excuse to do the same. 
And they also try the same on her son, but it's different when you, that, you know, James fought back and they were too scared to continue. And really, it really shows that even if you're a queen and you have, as she had, French royal blood, English royal blood, Scots royal blood, that wasn't enough to stop people, to stop men from trying to attack you and to seize you. And although she did lose her throne, I think that she did manage to create for the years in which she was Queen of Scotland, a, a, a court of a woman that was successful, a successful female court. And as such, I think, for the first time ever, proved in Scotland that it could be possible. And I think another reason why she was much more successful than she's often given credit for is how when after she was deposed, it wasn't like everyone suddenly said, oh, yes, that's fine. James Stewart's in charge. Yes, marvellous. Yes, we're all happy now. You know, there's a lot of anger against him, a lot of resentment, uh, uh, both from the ordinary people and from the elites. So really, I think that I, I see her as a she is a tragic figure and a figure who was surrounded by men trying to seize her power. But she fought to be queen and she made the most courageous fight possible. Towards the end of Mary's life, she spent her final days in Fotheringay Castle in Northamptonshire. And do we know anything about what she may have had access to at that point? Or was she literally, had she been stripped of everything? Well, she had lost so much because she'd left all her jewels um, behind. But what's very striking is that there was actually an inventory done of her jewels really quite close to before she was executed. So really, uh, so we we know what she had in these final period of her house arrest. And so they took it, so they took an inventory of what she had and this really, it's very moving, I think, reading this inventory because she has so little compared to what she once had, what she once had. I mean, she seemed to be able to buy any kind of jewel that she had. She had the French crown jewels, the Scottish crown jewels. She had these marvellous pearls. And what's very fascinating is how little that she had by then. Um, She had a gold pin case. She had a um, porcelain spoon, one silver, one gold. She had the slice of unicorn horn set in gold. So she has this unicorn horn that you test for poison, a charm stone with a gold cover. So she has sort of sort of charm stones, but she doesn't have huge amount of of jewels. And what strikes me as well, she had a little chest decorated with diamond rubies and pearls, and she also had a looking glass with miniature portraits of Mary and Elizabeth on it. So it's really, I think, moving to read about the jewel she had in her final, the, the final time of her life. And at one hand, there's hardly anything. It's a tiny amount for queen. I mean, that's nowhere near any elite woman could have. I mean, it's absolutely tiny. But yet it's very moving that these are the items that she kept with her through this house arrest when she was moved from place to place and 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 sort of really treated very badly that these are the final things that she has a little chest a unicorn horn a couple of spoons and a looking glass of miniature portraits of mary and of elizabeth do you think that's reflective of i mean do you think it's uh, those are things that would have meant something to mary in sentimental terms were they personal objects for her do you think I think they meant something to her I think some of them were probably she obtained and she was given them uh, while she was under 
under house arrest. I think she had a stone to guard against melancholy, which must have been what she was really suffering greatly throughout her house arrest, particularly at this final time. And I think they must have meant something for her because she kept them and she kept them really with her until the very last time. And what what's striking to me about Mary as a jewel is how she almost becomes a jewel herself at the end because they're so terrified of anything of hers becoming an icon, a relic, that they take her her items, they, they get rid of them, they disperse them, they burn a lot of them. And also they take her heart and they put it into a jar and then they put it under a mound at Fotheringhay and you know, no one's ever recovered it. And so she is in a sense, she becomes a jewel, a precious object at the end. Gosh, I feel I felt like I had shivers when I was listening to that. Have people actually tried to find her heart? Do we know? I don't, you know, I don't, I don't really know. That's a good question, Nicola. I don't know whether they have. Um, I'm sure they did in the Victorian period. You know what they were like. Mm. They were always digging stuff up. <laughs> yeah. But, um, uh, you know, it's never been found as far as I know. I, 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 and obviously we couldn't go now. Um, because, no. You know, it's a protected <laughs> site. But, um, uh, you know, it's, 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 it's very striking that, that, you know, so I don't really know. I mean, in answer to your question, I don't, I don't know that. Uh, but, um, I, I'm, I'm sure they have it sometimes, but they have never been able to find it. And I presume that that would mean that it was so deeply buried that it could never be found. That was the aim. Um, I mean, Kate, it's been absolutely wonderful to talk to you today. And as I say, I feel like my perspective and my views on Mary have changed a little bit. So as I say, thank you for that. Um, what I'd like to ask you finally is... Are you able to tell us anything about what you're working on at the moment? Because I know you've fairly recently just finished a book. Yes, I've just finished a book about uh, an academic book about reading in the 18th century. And I'm now working on a new book on queenship and queenship in history. So I'm very much enjoying that one. So, yes, I'm really, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm definitely in with the queens. Absolutely. Oh my gosh, that's really exciting. I can't wait to read that. How exciting. Thank you. Well, hopefully we can come back and talk about all of their jewels. Oh, that would be great. <laughs> yes, please. Um, uh, and uh, and it's, 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 quite, it's quite funny, actually, in the, in the academic book I've just, just been writing, um, yeah. one, of the, one of the authors, um, she um, writes about heaven as all jewels. And when you go to heaven, it's all about gold and jewels. And uh, you, you, somewhat, when you go to heaven, uh, your former lover who you lost and is still in your heart comes to pick you up in a great big car made of sapphire and then takes you to a land of jewels. So sounds like fun. <laughs> That's perfect. What a perfect way to end. Kate's book about Mary Queen of Scots, Rival Queens, is out now, available in all good bookshops and online. Thanks so much for listening to today's episode. If you enjoyed it, please press subscribe and leave us a rating and a review. Don't forget to join us next time for another episode of History Gems.